Welcome to episode 48 of the Owl and Badger podcast. My name is Tim and I'm joined by my very good friend Helen. And we are two Christians who are seeking to understand the world around us through a biblical worldview. We want to encourage our listeners to apply critical thinking to current events and pursue truth as we seek to live for Christ. Good evening, Helen. How are you doing uh, as we good. ease out of the weekend? Good evening. I'm doing well, thank you. Yep, I've been in the garden this afternoon. Really, which always that's makes good. me happy. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I I, I had some I had uh, some uh, uh, low key feedback actually about our uh, our preamble uh, mention of our pastimes from previous episode. Oh. And the the feedback was it was it was very middle class because oh. you, you were playing tennis <laughs> and I was baking bread. Oh, so yeah. um, I, I took oh. that one on the chin, and yeah. I think we need to branch out. You've okay. been gardening, so well, immediately, okay, Helen, you've not gardening. helped us at the start no. of this podcast. So. Well, what about um, the other day I was driving a tractor? Is that better? Well, it's different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Yeah, I'm not sure I can, I can comp- compete with uh, tractor driving. I was, I was pruning yesterday, so we're not really, we're not getting away from this, are we? So I, I was no, pruning, yeah. or as my wife puts it, hacking plants. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's been chopping, chopping, yeah, Yeah. looks better. Um, but making the most of the weather because it's been all right weather, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, but yes, so there we go. We will try, we'll try and branch out into, um, all sorts of different pastimes, won't we? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) There's a challenge. In in a huge amount of spare time that, that that clearly (laughs) everybody has. Um, but there we are. Um, right. So we, we wanted to try and fit in a uh, what might be a shorter episode between um, this and our, our uh, previous podcast and one coming after this, where we've got some more things planned. But given um, some particularly interesting things that have happened recently, we wanted to discuss those in this episode. But before we do, we just wanted to look back at our previous episode where we interviewed Aaron Edwards, which was so encouraging, wasn't it, Helen? It was such, I think it's, that was a particularly good episode, wasn't it? And if you yeah. haven't listened to it already, we just really encourage you to go and listen to what Aaron has to say because it's so um, it's so important to hear that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's such a good chap, um, brave chap. He probably wouldn't like me saying that, but um, yeah, I think he's courageous and, as he would say, shamelessly biblical, which is yeah. um, just so important and so few christians are i think these days so yeah i think what he's doing is is brilliant and um yeah i hope he continues yeah I th- um yeah indeed i hope he does and and do like if you're on twitter or x as it's now known do do follow him on there as well and tune into his his podcast uh he does with andy bannister pod of the gaps but one of the things that came up and it was only a short section in our podcast episode our discussion with Aaron Edwards was um, the issue surrounding Alistair Begg, uh, the Scottish pastor, author, who's based in the States now. But Helen, do you want to just quickly just give us a very brief, brief overview of what, what happened, just in case listeners don't know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we mentioned this, and I think it, it seems to have uh, mushroomed. It's become really quite a big deal uh, at least in some circles so Alistair Begg to be honest I hadn't really heard of him before um, but he's very well known I think in the United States um, where he has I think a 
radio show or he he may not anymore i think they might have um got rid of him but anyway i think it was on this radio show that he was responding to a grandmother who had asked for advice about what he thought whether she should go to her transgender grandchild's wedding Mm. and he responded to that saying that he thought that she should go and he also said that she should buy them a gift i think he said something like um she should surprise them by you know rather than doing what they might expect because if they knew that she didn't really approve that that she wouldn't go that she should go and um yeah that was his advice it was it's really kicked up a bit of a a bit of a storm, hasn't it? And and rightly so, actually, uh, because uh, he it's it was um, very poor advice which he sadly gave. And I think what has been so noticeable is the way that he has doubled down, hasn't he, on this? Because he's since preached yeah. uh, preached at least one sermon where he's mentioned about this and how basically he still believes he's done done the right thing. And it's very concerning. And I was um, drawn to some comments made by John Stevens, who is the national director for the FIEC, which is the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, which is actually what his initial comments actually highlighted the issue with Alistair Begg and led to uh, the brief section in our previous podcast with Aaron Edwards. But John Stevens, again, has really doubled down on this. And he's written a, a piece that appeared in Premier Christianity on on their website where he was giving what really amounted to very weak theological reasons to support what Alistair Begg uh, has, has done. And it's really concerning because Alistair Begg has had a very solid ministry i think up until this point and of course the the FIEC is is known in the UK as a conservative evangelical uh, church group and uh, is normally associated with very biblical orthodox uh, outlook uh, and supporting a biblically orthodox view but when the national director admittedly it's his it's his opinion of course he's entitled to his opinion but when he makes really quite honestly very weak theological arguments if you can if you can even call them that um it's very concerning and and he you know the the article that uh, john stevens actually wrote unfortunately was was really just making that i suppose serious error of false equivalences so for example it says you know the bible provides this is what john Stevens says says the bible provides surprising examples of faithful believers attending intrinsically sinful events or ceremonies when jesus ate with sinners he said it was his very purpose to be among sinners this does not mean he only went to preach or have evangelistic conversations but to enable relationships in which that might be a possibility that's a false equivalence because Jesus eating with people is not affirming their sin. But going to a trans or gay wedding, um, which is a, an oxymoron, by the way, is affirming sin and ultimately is blasphemous. 
And it's just really sad when you, you see not only Alistair Begg doubling down on this, but somebody like John Stevens, although not surprising, really, given the track record on previous things, especially around COVID, that he gives this this advice and it really is a serious all this view rather and, and this should be a, a serious cause for concern for those sitting under the FIEC banner I think at least to stop and think say hold on a sec what's what's going on here do you know what I mean Helen it's it's you know you don't want to blow something out of proportion but at the same time this seems to be happening too too often now in the church yeah yeah it is it is worrying and I think particularly when these people who, like you say, we would expect to hold an orthodox Christian position, um, who seem to be, whether they're bowing to pressure or whether, I don't know, I don't know what it is. They're just feeling like they've got to, got to tread a careful line or be seen to be nice or be seen to be loving in what they're saying. Um but if it's not biblical, then it's then it's none of those things, really. Um, no, it, it, it's not. And, and I, you know, I think other people have said maybe it's because, you know, Alistair Begg, John Stevens and others are from a different generation where they simply didn't have to grapple with these these particular issues. And they are simply applying what they believe is right without actually giving it proper thought and consideration and, and applying biblically sound rigor to it yeah. i mean when john stevens finishes his article in, in premier christianity he says this he says it is not an issue that's the issue of um the whole should we go to a trans wedding or not thing it's not an issue we should divide over we need to allow believers to exercise their judgment in conscience before god well, that's I'm a, sadly that's just that's just nonsensical waffle. Because what mm. he he really means here is this: is it's like John Stevens is really saying, if we don't stand for anything, then we won't fall out. And that's exactly true. But if you don't stand for anything, then you've already left the narrow path. That's the reality. So. Yeah, it's 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 a real shame, and I think it's it's a great pity that Alistair Begg has has had this error highlighted too. And instead of saying, actually, you know what, in the moment I got this wrong, I gave bad advice. I realise that now. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I realise I should have been taking a different approach here. But instead, he's done the opposite. He's doubled down, and it's yeah. it's really sad. Yeah, it's really it sad, is. but it's very concerning. Yeah, um, and I think what um, you know, if this lady had said, "Should I still talk to my grandchild? Mm. Should I should I still invite my grandchild over for a cup of tea?" That would have been a completely different thing, and and certainly I would say, you know, you know, of, of course that, but that's not what this is. This is should I attend the wedding of my transgender grandchild and. Of course, attending a wedding, everything about that is showing your support. That's the whole point of going to a wedding. Exactly, exactly. And and so, yeah. otherwise, that's a lie. If you're going and you're not supportive of it, yeah, t totally. And, and and by and by definition, you 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 can't have a gay wedding or a transgender wedding. It's it's biblically an impossibility. Mm. So. 
uh, the fact that it's even muted from that point is 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 absurd. Um, but yeah, I, thankfully there are people who have um, a sound theological understanding, and furthermore can make that very accessible for people to listen to and to grasp. And and w- one such person is Joe Boot, and he who he runs the Ezra Institute. And there's a couple of absolutely superb podcast episodes, which we'll link to in this uh, podcast, where he tackles this very topic concerning what Alistair Begg has said. And it's it's excellent, isn't it, Helen? It's really, it is really good. Really, really good. In fact, each one gets increasingly good, I think. Um, and, and one of the things I was really pleased that he talked about, um, which is one of the things that came to mind, to me which is about when jesus warns us that we must put god before even our closest family um and and that you know that sometimes that will mean that relationships may break down and that's really hard but we have to put god first and his ways first yeah yeah we do and We've got to allow ourselves to be uh, challenged over this and become a little bit more robust. There is a lot more we can say, but um, and perhaps we will in in another episode. But obviously, I think I think be be praying that that Christian, particularly Christian leaders, can understand what you've just been talking about, Helen. Understand the importance of biblical orthodoxy of truth of having a sound, solid understanding of Scripture, to be able to proclaim it faithfully um, and to do, th- to do that more and more because it, too, mu- too much of the opposite is happening. Um, as a slight segue into our next thing of too much of the opposite, um, Raven and Ave, do you remember those, Helen? Because you, you're, you're, you look like a potential raver in a naver. Yeah. <laughs> is that even a thing? <laughs> do you know, I do remember raves in the name i knew it i knew it i do and i think was it about 20 might have been 25 years ago it it was a bit of a thing for a little while i even wonder if i might may have been to one really well we had something there was something in winchester cathedral and i think it might have been it wasn't a rave at all i think what it was back then did you wear a shell suit no, I never had a shell suit. Really? Oh, okay. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Um, but I think the rave in the nave back in the day was basically, I think, Christian bands playing in cathedrals or large churches. Right. Okay. Okay. So bands like Delirious, for like example. Delirious. Yeah, which, that kind of thing. I mean, back in 25 years ago, it was... It was delirious, wasn't it? I mean, there were a few other kind of obscure Christian bands. Was it Iona? That was one, wasn't it? Uh, But anyway, wow. Okay. Well, you'll be pleased to know, or not, actually you won't be pleased to know, but Rave in the Nave is is back, uh, sadly, except it's not quite what Helen described. And and this took place in Canterbury Cathedral over the last last few days, isn't it? And they organised a silent disco. And around 3,000 people in total were expected to uh, take to the floor of the nave in Canterbury Cathedral over four sessions. And uh, this was a 90s silent disco. So people would be dancing to things like the Spice Girls, Venga Boys and even Eminem. Okay, in an event that 
get this, okay, in an event that church officials hope will serve to attract a new generation, I've got laugh, of worshippers to the building's hallowed um, cloisters. Really? Really? Yep. Is that what they they hoped, did they? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> mm. It's nothing quite like... Um, you know, banging dance tunes to uh, to point the way to to gospel truth, is there? Let's be honest. Mm. Um, one one vicar on Twitter, um, I won't name this person. I don't know this person, but I won't name him anyway. But, but this vicar said this: said this looks wonderful. I was a steward for Rave in the Nave at Durham Cathedral in two thousand and one. There there were hundreds of children coming for their first experience of the church. If you would like to see what is killing off the church faster than anything else, look at the replies. And what he's referring to there is look at the replies to the fact that Canterbury Cathedral has basically desecrated their church by allowing this stuff to happen inside it. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's astonishing, really, isn't it? I mean, it's astonishing in one <laughs> sense, but it's not surprising in another, sadly. Well, the thing is, he he's clearly referring to what I was talking about when there was hundreds of children coming for their first experience of church. Well, what he's remembering is not what this thing was at all. This was for over 18s with alcohol and very clearly not Christian music. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just going back to when, when you said the officials were hoping that this would attract a new generation of worshippers, which, of course, it won't at all. But um, if that's what they're hoping for, why are they not welcoming school trips to the cathedral or youth groups or student groups or setting up family services or student services or inviting Christian bands to play. That, exactly. All of those things, they're not going to make the money, are they? No, it's not going to, it's not going to make the money and it's not, it's, it's not going to ring true with um, our cultural values, whatever those cultural values might be, and we'll probably talk about that in a little a little while, actually. Um, but yes, it's it's very it's tragic, it's tragic and very sad that the Church of England have allowed this to happen, and it's really just it makes a mockery, actually, of of the gospel, um, because. You know, music is is a powerful thing, um, and it can be a good thing, but it all can also be a very bad thing. And um, you've got to be ever so careful how you handle that. And just to do something like this in a church and then stick a kind of Christian label on it is um, is not right at all. But yeah, I, I was quite. Um, there's a lot of interestingly actually there's a lot of people when you look at the the twitter feed for canterbury cathedral there's a lot of people really pushing back against this and quite a few well-known people as well and it's almost like whoever does the um canterbury cathedral twitter feed it's like they they don't read anything because they're saying yes and we're going to put some more pics up soon and more pictures up soon and we're going to let you know what's happening next as if they've like there's there's a complete disconnect with what they're doing and the replies they're getting. It's quite amusing, really. Well, um, it even made the news in America. I heard. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. I bet <laughs> the Americans were like, "What are you doing?" Or was it was it it's in a positive way? I don't know whether it's positive or negative. Just that it had reached <laughs> their shores. Oh, okay. Well, yes. Anyway, so there we go. So 
from from that, and there is no easy segue from uh, Raven and Ave uh, to um, well the interview between Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin, which um, aired on Thursday evening last week at um, 11 p.m. I actually started watching it, I think about sort of quarter past 11. I thought I'll watch a bit and ended up watching the whole thing because I thought this is too this is too big a deal not to kind of watch it now. Uh, two hours. Mm-hmm. It's not, not a short not a short chinwag, was it, Helen? Um, no. What, what are your initial thoughts about this one? Um, well, I, I have, I have to say, I have listened to Putin before, and I think quite a few people who've listened to this haven't ever listened to him before. So, so, you know, I wasn't coming having never listened to anything he said before, but I'm not sure I've ever heard an interview with him. So what I have listened to a bit before are some of his speeches. Um, so my initial thoughts were... That was quite impressive. He comes across as intelligent, measured, reasoned, well-argued, in contrast to things I've listened to recently where there's a lot of warmongering. I thought he wasn't doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't using dismissive or patronising language, which we're used to hearing. Um, So basically very much unlike what we're used to hearing and expect from Western leaders. Hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah, that um, that makes perfect sense. I think I, I had initial, an initial kind of two thoughts as I was listening to him. And, and the first thought came in the first sort of 30 minutes or so, because in the thir- first 30 odd minutes of the interview, it's like a sort of, Vladimir Putin history lesson of Russia. Admittedly, it's maybe his version of events, <laughs> history-wise. I can't comment because I don't know much about Russian history at all, but he clearly does. And one of the things that that that, that struck well, the first thing that struck me was that um, I'll just say it as I thought it because. I, I, fe- I felt like his his approach to the interview in this initial stage, it felt like it makes the leaders in the West look like clowns in the ter- in in the way that he simply goes around about answering a question in such depth and, and going into this level of detail. I, I was quite. It was to me. It was very stark. Um, and I think the other thing that, that struck me later on, and we'll talk about this in a bit, was what he said about Boris Johnson. And we, we've we already, I think, as many other people have mentioned this, I think, well over a year ago now. Um, but that was that was quite that was quite shocking. But yeah, I mean, I can't. I, can you imagine? I'm trying to think how it would look if. If, T- if Tucker Carlson was interviewing Rishi Sunak or Keir Starmer, it, it would be very different, wouldn't it? And, and this, and we're saying all this, bearing in mind that we don't understand Russian, so we're listening to a translator. So some things will get lost in translation. That always happens. Um, but the fact that it was through a translator 
and these things were so apparent was noticeable, I think, and it is significant. Yeah, yeah. And I, I did think actually while I was listening that translator's doing a very good job, very clever person who can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, clearly, I mean, his, history, whatever you think about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, whatever you think about Putin, history is important. And history is something that should be understood in order to give us context and a sort of foundation for the here and now. And and I think that's what really came across in this, wasn't it, Helen? The fact that yeah. that that there was a kind of there was a, a depth to Putin and that depth is what is lacking in our leaders, sadly. And and it shouldn't be, because here in the United Kingdom, like and obviously other countries as well, goes without saying, but you know, we have a rich history that 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 forms so much or had formed so much of our uh, nation's psyche and our culture and, and how we view the world and how we conduct ourselves and what we value and why we value it. And yet, if Tucker Carlson, like I say, was speaking to Rishi Sunak, he'd probably talk about Great British Bake Off <laughs> or how he relates to a particular contestant on Love Island. Yeah. Well, we've just... I mean, it's depressing. It's depressing how stark it is. Yeah. Yeah, and we just seem to devalue our history. Um, we don't teach it in schools very well anymore. I think. I think I even no, I, I wasn't taught do. history very well, and and increasingly, um, we seem to be trying to um, remove any sense of pride in our history from mm, our population, mm. which. I don't think that's what they do in Russia. No, no, and you, you, you need you need that to to have a sense of history in order to have that sense of belonging, to have that sense of like say Helen, that sense of pride in who you are, what you stand for. It's so important, uh, and and you're right. In in school, it is unfortunately often not presented well, and and furthermore, it's then you, you then have indoctrination seeping in, like you know Black History Month and things like that, where and and they talk about you know the dangers of white supremacy and all this sort of stuff, creating these divides, which you could argue aren't there, but they're creating them by talking about these subjects creating a them and an us. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's deeply, deeply concerning. But it was, I mean, where should we go with this? There's so much we could talk about. I mean, I think one of the things um, that was, you know, interesting, it, it was how he mentioned about NATO expansionism. That was, that was a really key part of Putin's um, talk to yeah. Tucker Carlson, wasn't it? And, yeah. and his which, grievance which over that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I expected that. And I think it showed that it is a legitimate concern of his. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some people have been 
uh, trying to dismiss that as if, you know, it's not really that big a deal, you know, and he, he just wants to take over the world. And I think, no, I think it, I think it is a big deal to him. Why would it not be? Yeah. And, and frankly, why would, why would Russia want to take over any more land? I mean, as if, have you looked at a map? <laughs> Have you seen how large Russia is? <laughs> how many different languages yeah. and sort of subcultures they have? Uh, the fact that they've got immense resources. I mean, the last thing they need is more land. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, let's let's be honest here. There are some countries who 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 would like more land, obviously, but um, but Russia certainly isn't isn't one of them, um, and. And I was I was actually quite surprised that he he was he didn't go into kind of loads of depth about it, it, he didn't go into loads of depth about kind of the, the how the war is going or or, or or things like that and and he he said is focusing very much on the the underlying reasons behind it. And and I think crucially the um, the way that the West has, has scuppered things. Now, okay, you, you could say, well, that's just Vladimir Putin's viewpoint. But um, I think in terms of as we'll get onto it shortly about Boris Johnson's involvement, that's not Vladimir's Putin uh, opinion on this. It's fact of what happened and his involvement. <laughs> essentially derailing potential peace which we'll, we'll come on to that in, in a moment but yeah but i think there is there there seems to be considerable evidence of his willingness to negotiate mm. from the start yeah which and he was making that point um and you know it, it, i have heard about that from various sources that 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 was the point. In fact, I've actually seen, I've see, seen, I think it was in the um, European Parliament, uh, some somewhere where these Russian delegates came and they literally walked out of the room. They wouldn't even speak to them. Mm. So that, you mm. know, that's just one example of just a complete unwillingness to have any kind of talks whatsoever. Yeah. Which you can never claim to be wanting peace if you won't even... If you won't talk to your opposition, how can you ever get peace? Yeah, in, indeed, indeed, and and it's been a you know war war is is tragic and ultimately pointless, um, and it certainly had a devastating effect on Ukraine. They've lost tens of thousands of men. In this battle, and probably women as well, I'd imagine as well, given that um, Western idea ideals are being played out everywhere in, in Ukraine, sadly, uh, and and it, and it's shocking. I mean, now in Ukraine there are protests in some cities and towns asking for their men to be sent back to their families. And and this and this kind of forced conscription that is very much has been going on in Ukraine for a, a long time now is is awful. And for what? I mean, it's it's it really is. It, we've said this 
we've said this on a number of times on this podcast, but it, it really is um, a, a, a tragedy. And the the West has played a huge part in this. And, you know, Putin in this interview went back to elections, I think it was, it was it 2008. And then, of course, the Maidan in 2014, where he regarded as the kind of the war really starting at that point. And certainly it kind of has rumbled on in the Donbass since 2014 up until 2022. Um, largely unreported in, in the West, but awful, awful things happening in the uh, the southeast of, of Ukraine. And um, yeah, it, it, what, should we, what should we talk about? The... Um, the, the negotiations here, because that was that was a significant moment, wasn't it? I think in his interview, because some some people won't have won't have understood about um, Boris Johnson and what happened. Yeah. So um, was it when? Do you remember there was a picture of uh, Boris Johnson walking through Kiev? I presume it was with Zelensky, yeah, and Boris was... Johnson was in his suit. No, no, kind of. I think you made a point at the time, didn't you, that he'd been seen walking through one of our cities here. I don't know if it was Manchester or Birmingham or somewhere. Oh, it in was a, Liverpool. A, I think it was Liverpool, and it was in a stab in a vest. bulletproof vest yeah. or something. Yeah, it's in a stab vest, but and he's, there he's he in. was walking through Kiev, no, just in a shirt and tie. Yeah, I, I, th I think I think that was April. He certainly went. He did a surprise visit to, to Kiev um, on April the nineteenth in two thousand and twenty-two. And that was shortly after um, the, uh, according according to Putin, um, ha the Russians and Ukrainians had had tentative negotiations uh, beginning in Istanbul, and there it looked like there could have been some movement there. And interestingly, it's really interesting because at this point the Russian army was just outside Kiev, and as part of a kind of as part of the negotiation agreement. The Russians would pull back from Kiev. But when they pulled back from Kiev, it wasn't reported in the West as being um, the, the Russian army have, have pulled back from Kiev as a kind of goodwill in quotes to, to ease towards a peace agreement. It was billed as, oh, they're suffering defeat and they're suffering from, um, you know, they need to make a, a hasty retreat. So, you know, we, we have not had things reported accurately to us from the start in this. But um, after these uh, negotiations that kind of, I suppose, ha started off in Istanbul and then gone, people have gone back to Kiev, Johnson, Boris Johnson arrives in, in Kiev in April the 19th and, and says basically, says to Zelensky, we shouldn't sign anything with them at all and let's just fight and that is what putin was he alluded to at least twice in his interview with uh, tucker carlson uh, and it's a shocker and 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 interestingly um boris johnson has been seen to be trying to shore himself up these last couple of days but the times I've seen him speak about it, he's not uh, refuted Putin's claims. He's simply tried to make out that Tucker Carlson is a some kind of you know charlatan, and and it's just nonsense. It's quite it's quite unbelievable. Mm. 
but it's yeah it's so it's so concerning isn't it with when I, I mean I was sitting through the interview wondering when's he going to mention our country because he talked about Germany and France and obviously United States and I thought what's he going to say is he going to say anything about Boris Johnson that's what what I was wondering if he would mention about that I mean obviously presumably Boris Johnson was um told to do that by America I imagine yeah, I think that that was certainly implied. That was certainly implied in the interview, and and you'd have to that that's a reasonably intelligent conclusion, I think, on, on that on that particular top that particular point. Um, but it's just it's just it's just it's just tragic, and and the reason we're talking about this on a on a podcast that is um, predominantly aimed at Christians, but you might not be. A Christian, if you're listening to that, and if so, that's that's great. We're, we're glad you're listening. Is is because we often talk about the importance of truth, and we're often really focused on understanding the reality of the world in which we live. And the truth is that what we think is the reality of the world in which we live is not. It's a lie. And one of those lies has been what we've been told consistently over and over again about Ukraine. And, and you know, again, we've said this many times, but if you can remember back as far as February 2022, some of you will remember how we literally moved from one day we're talking about COVID, the next day it was all about Ukraine, wasn't it, Helen? It yeah. was astonishing. It was like somebody had flicked a switch in the yeah. mainstream media. And it's like, oh, this is a big new thing now. We look, every everybody needs to look over here. Everybody get your flag out. Everybody start ringing your church bells at this time to show your solidarity with the people of Ukraine. It's just utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. And we've been had. And as Christians, we, we've got to be alert to this stuff. We really, really do. Mm. Um, and I think as well, it's it's... I've heard people saying, you know, you shouldn't even listen to this interview. There's been been really so many yeah, people saying, you know, you shouldn't. A bit like I suppose when um, do you remember when when we were young when um, they wouldn't let anyone listen to anything anyone in the IRA when anyone in the IRA had something to say or anyone in Sinn Féin had something to say if it was on a television screen, they oh, okay. block out the sound so you couldn't hear them. Really? Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I remember that. But but the thing is, we've been prevented from hearing anything really from Russia, haven't we? Because, um, you know, yeah, it's like as have. soon as this started, no, anything that comes from Russia will be propaganda. So we've just been bombarded with propaganda from the West. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that we can we can just go, oh, well, obviously everything Putin says will be, there'll be, 100% the truth but we should be able to listen to what he has to say I want to hear what he has to say that's why I was I was looking forward to to listening to this um because I, I think that's I, important it, it, yeah it is important and and listening to what somebody has to say to weigh up what they're saying is not the same as saying I agree with them no there may be things that person says and you disagree with it profoundly but um, 
if we say, well, I'm not going to listen to Putin because he's the bad guy. Well, who told you he was a bad guy? And why should you listen to them? And that's the question you need to ask yourself. And if you're satisfied with the answer, well, okay, well, that's up to you. Uh, but just going back to the without, you know, I say who, Helen, but I'm just curious about this, this why we shouldn't listen to Putin thing. What, 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 was there any, can you elaborate on any reasoning behind that? Or um, No, I suppose it's the idea of you shouldn't listen to an enemy or um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Why would people say that? Um, but but why why okay but I mean if we just push this a little bit further why is he our enemy we're not fighting Russia uh, well yeah, or are we fighting exactly. Russia I mean now now I'm confused which, which yeah. is it are we fighting Russia or not I'm I'm not not sure I mean obviously in a sense we were fighting a proxy war with Russia by supplying arms yeah. to Ukraine and uh, occasionally mercenaries of course we are but yeah it, that that's uh, unfortunately that's a very naive way to, to to view the world which is which is a little bit sad to be honest yeah. um i mean we've we've had um we've had the warmongering haven't we that we talked about in a, an earlier episode from grant shapps and i guess that raises that question about you know do, do we really think we could go to war with Russia? I mean, of course we can't with, with conscription. Because again, they touched on this, didn't they, in the interview when Tucker Carlson was talking, saying, well, you know, is it going to end up with uh, like American boots on the ground kind of thing in, in Ukraine? Yeah, well, and I thought actually um, I might read out a little bit from from the interview because I think this is this is really important point. So this, um, we, we're told this oversimplistic message aren't we that um russia just wants to invade ukraine because it wants to take over you know all the neighboring countries it wants to expand and um mm. you know it's such a bully yeah. um so carlson asked him can you imagine a scenario where you send russian troops to poland and putin answers only in one case if poland attacks russia why because we have no interest in poland latvia or anywhere else why would we do that we simply don't have any interest. It's just threat-mongering. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war, and a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious. They have been scaring everyone with us all along. Tomorrow, Russia will use tactical nuclear weapons. In order to extort additional money from US taxpayers and European taxpayers in the confrontation with Russia in the Ukrainian theatre of war, but the goal is to weaken Russia as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, go on. And I was going to say, I mean, and and look at, and think about the sanctions, the sanctimonious sanctions which we placed on Russia. Well, it's really harmed them, hasn't it? Not. No. <laughs> I mean, they're, they've it's they're doing us. far. Yes, it has harmed us, and they're doing far far better than than we are economically. Um. It's it 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 it's ludicrous, really, isn't it? It's just it's it's really quite astonishing. Um, yeah. Well, well, if I just read the next bit, because yeah, yeah. he he goes on. Then Tucker Carlson asks him, "Well, one of our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort, or U.S. soldier citizens could wind up fighting there. How do mm. you assess that?" And Putin responds, this is a provocation and a cheap provocation at that. 
I do not understand why American soldiers should fight in Ukraine. Do the United States need this? For what? Thousands of miles away from your national territory, don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues with the national debt, more than $33 trillion. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia, make an agreement? Already understanding the situation that is developing today, realising that Russia will fight for its interests to the end, and realising this actually a return to common sense, starting start respecting our country and its interests and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Yeah, and that's very stark, isn't it, compared to the warmongering language that we hear yeah. all over our, our media and what we hear from the likes of Grant Schapp or Rishi Sunak or Boris Johnson or no doubt David Cameron. It, it is exactly. quite astonishing, actually. What one one person one side is saying, okay, we want we want we want peace here. We want to we want to just be able to get along, and we don't want NATO on our border. And the other side is saying, right, we're going to fight you, whatever. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, okay, well, uh, and, and you know, he might be saying, he might be listening to this and thinking, well, it's all very well Putin saying that, but look what he's done. He's invaded the country. Okay, well. Go and listen to the. Go and listen to what he has to say. We would say, go and listen to what he has to say. Understand a little bit more about the context of what happened in Ukraine, um, and that's again. We're not saying we're not saying it was right. I'm not saying that at all. No. We're not commenting on whether it was right or wrong, but just understand the context of what happened, rather than just regurgitating what you read on the BBC or the Telegraph or whatever mainstream uh, source you might look at. Um, well, and understand that if we could have um, had some parts of play in preventing it, mm. then, you know, then we are implicated in it happening. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, it, it went back in the 80s and before you had, you had NATO and then you had the Warsaw Pact. So they were the two kind of elements. But when the fall of the Soviet Union happened, the Warsaw Pact kind of fell apart. So what was the purpose of NATO exactly? And yet NATO has carried on. That's a very good point. And, and the, the, th the thing is, don't take our word for it. Go and look in a history book and look at the NATO expansionism throughout Europe and you'll see that Putin yeah. is absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And then if he added on to the top of this, which Tucker Carlson didn't talk about, but probably would have been a rabbit hole if he had, of the NATO involvement in Ukraine in the biolabs that have been in Ukraine, which before 2022 was labelled as a conspiracy theory. And then lo and behold, was it 2022 or early 23? I think it was 2022. The Americans started owning up to them. Yeah. So the point we're making is um if you're going to if if, one, if you're going to accuse Putin of lying I'm afraid you also have to 
accused, and rightly so, sadly, of our governments lying. And they have lied repeatedly. I mean, they've lied about Iraq. They've lied about Syria. They've lied about Libya. They've lied about Afghanistan. They've lied about weapons of mass destruction. But we think they're telling the truth about Ukraine. Are we seriously, are we actually suggesting that that's the case? Because I think we've taken leave of our senses if we do say that. And again, like we said before, you know, for Christians, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to be political about this. That's absolutely fine. You don't don't have to be political about it. But it's important that we take a step away when we hear things on the news, when we when we see agendas pushed, and just consider, is this accurate? What is actually happening here? And that that's really that's such a key thing, isn't it, Helen? Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and I was thinking after this interview, I went back and looked um, a book I've read recently called How the West Brought War to Ukraine. And um, one of the main points they make in this book is about this NATO expansionism. And um, the writer says that any foreign power that places military forces near US territory knows that it's crossing a red line um, and violation would be considered a reason for war. Mm. So, you know, that's very clearly understood. That would be the position of the US. Yet, he says, when it comes to Russia, the United States and its NATO allies have acted for decades in disregard of this same principle. They have progressively advanced the placement of their military forces towards Russia, even to its borders. They have done this with inadequate attention to and sometimes blithe disregard for how Russian leaders might perceive this advance. Had Russia taken equivalent actions with respect to US territory, say placing military forces in Canada or Mexico, Washington would have gone to war and justified that war as a defensive response to the military encroachment of a foreign power. When viewed through this lens, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is seen not as the unbridled expansionism of a malevolent Russian leader, but as a violent and destructive reaction to misguided Western policies, an attempt to re-establish a zone around Russia's Western border that is free of offensive threats from the United States and its allies. Having misunderstood why Russia invaded Ukraine, the West is now basing existential decisions on false premises. In doing so, it is deepening the crisis and maybe sleepwalking towards nuclear war. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, that's very good. What was that book again? It's called How the West Brought War to, U- to Ukraine. That's by a chap called Benjamin Abelow. Okay, let's remember to put a link to that in the uh, podcast notes because that sounds uh, worth worthwhile read. Have you actually finished the book, or is it something you yeah, dip back into? Okay, yeah. would you recommend it? Yes, I would. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, great. Well, I think yeah. I mean, there's, there's other other things we can talk about as well. I think it's interesting actually how how the our mainstream. I need to get this right. Our legacy mainstream media responds to um, the Tucker Carlson Putin interview. What was very noticeable, at least online, was the lack of coverage. Yeah, and I had to type Putin into the BBC website 
to find anything about it. Yeah, I mean, the the the, B, the BBC just got their knickers in a twist over over this one, predictably so. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they genuinely, I think they thought that Piers Morgan and his talk show thing um, was moving to YouTube or something. I'm not even sure what it is, but something to do with Piers Morgan was was definitely more important than than uh, the Tucker Carlson interview. Uh, but yeah, I mean, another one, I mean, we're just going to pick on the Telegraph again um, because it, it is a bit of a sham. But Tim Stanley, who's a journalist, well-known uh, journalist who writes on the Telegraph, he said, and this was typically them, he said, Carlson could barely get a word in as Putin rambled on about things that were predominantly historical fan fiction. The two men, both plastered in bronzer and crammed into tiny camp chairs, were dwarfed by architecture, history and events spun wildly out of control. And and this is the, the, the typically weak, cheap shot journalism, which we get now in the UK, sadly, and I'm sure it probably happens in other countries as well. But the, the fact is that history matters, context matters. And in our attention span of a gnat, Western culture, which we now have... Um, it was, you know, it was very, very stark contrast to listening to Putin, as a, as we said earlier. If, if you listen to somebody like Rishi Sunak or or um, Keir Starmer, and it really, I think, the Putin interview sadly highlights a cultural bankruptcy that we have in the UK, which is a little bit depressing to be honest, because there is so much in, in the United Kingdom that we could be talking about and there's so much of our rich history that should form part of our values and yet so much of that is being upturned isn't it and and i think it just got me thinking about this because this putin interview whatever you think of putin whatever you whatever you think of russia it was like this is a completely different set of what's important to a country wasn't it yeah yeah definitely and that actually made me think, do you know, Tucker, I'd quite like you to go around, go and interview lots of world leaders. Yes, that'd be interesting, like this, wouldn't it? Please, that would be, <laughs> yeah, make them speak for two hours and let's hear what they have to say. Mm, mm, mm. And it sounded like the interview could have gone on beyond two hours. Yes, from, yeah, from, uh, so. from 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 what was <laughs> what was what was spoken about. Um, but yeah, I mean, when when Rishi Sunak was uh, collared about this. All he had to say was, um, and this is the United Kingdom Prime Minister, in case you don't know, he said, clearly ridiculous, brings it, uh, uh, talking about, that's all he could say, really, talking about the Tucker Carlson interview. And, just and dismissed it like that. Just dismissed it. So clearly ridiculous mm. and blathered on. And then a little bit later, he said, he talked about how, you know, Putin is responsible for the energy price rises that everybody's paying. It's like, no, he's not. It's like, <laughs> you know. Getting over old ground, you know, electricity has risen in, in line with gas. And, you know, as we said many times, much of electricity is generated in, in the UK, not all of it, but much of it. And just trying to point to that lie that it's all Putin's fault. Uh, and yet, of course, as we all know, and we need to remember that prices for both gas and electric rose quite a while before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. So it's, uh, to blame it on Putin is just is just nonsense, and and sadly it's just kind of this continual hoodwinking by the political elite, and it gets a bit boring after a while. But this, where's the truth? Where's the? There's no honesty, is there, Helen? There's no. There's no. 
there's no treating the electorate with respect. It's just continual lies. And also no treating us as intelligent human beings. I think that's one of the things I found refreshing. It's like, at least he's treating us like we might be intelligent people who could listen to what he has to say and understand what he has to say, rather than these ridiculous sound bites that we hear all the time and tittle-tattle and, you know, oh, well, it's just political nonsense that is always blaming someone else for something and yeah, it's, never it's any just, depth, never any... No, that's exactly it. There's never any depth. There's never any depth. I think that, that that's 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 the difference, isn't it? You listen you listen to, to Putin talking for a half an hour about history and whether you're bored out your mind or whatever, at least there's depth there. What we've got, just shallow, like surface politics, soundbite politics. And it's like that, and that's reflected in our culture. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting how, you know, Putin is actually on the surface, at least, what it seems like from Russia, very kind of pro the family, anti LGBT or trans agenda. Um, and there's a, there's a weird thing I'm, I'm not sure I fully understand here because I think there is definitely World Economic Forum links and everything there as well. So quite how those that that kind of anti-WEF agenda fits, I'm not really sure. But um, it's it's it is noticeable. It is noticeable um, that Putin has a lot of kind of or Russia rather, maybe not Putin, but Russia stand, seems to stand for a lot of things that think, okay, yeah, I could I could see how that might be good. And we've let those things go. The, the, what I'm trying to say, the, it's like Western, historic Christian Western values have been thrown away and we've adopted some ridiculous values in their place. And then there's this other country, Russia, that seems to be continuing with the Christian values. Does that make sense? And that's yeah. that's difficult to get your head around, isn't it? But that's that yeah. seems to be the the situation at the moment. And it's very odd. Yeah, it 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 does. And there's um, one part in the interview where he's talking about um, the fall of empires, and I think alluding to the probability, really, that that's what what is happening to the West. Mm. And I've heard some people saying, oh, you know, that's 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 because he's wanting to push that. And and I think, I don't know, I think that's just what, I think that's just his observation that that is what is happening. I think we're doing that to ourselves. We're, we, are, we are very, sadly at the moment, very successfully doing that to ourselves in terms of, um, yeah, the, 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 the values which the West might hold to now I mean, I don't, I don't really know, as we said before on this podcast, what our cultural values would be in the United Kingdom. Um, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it, when there was, I think, again, with Grant Shapp saying, oh, was it him who said we might have to think about um, calling people up at some point, you know, that war, warmongering thing. And yeah. you think, well, who's going to fight for you, Grant? Who's going to fight for this country? I don't know. I mean just a question but it's if you don't know what your values are if you don't know what you're fighting for yeah that's a problem yeah. um 
Interestingly, um, Kim.com, so if you don't know who he is, he's a bit of an internet personality. Um, <clears throat> this isn't an endorsement, by the way, just who he is. <laughs> you can go and look him up if you want. He did a survey on his Twitter account, so I take it with a big pinch of salt. But it was interesting because he, he asked basically, who's telling the truth, the West or Putin? And it was, there was at least 160,000 votes and over 90% said Putin. Now, that, that's, you know, that is seriously anecdotal, but it is quite, it is quite interesting. And I think what you find when you look at things like Twitter is you get a very different picture when you compare that to something like the BBC or the Daily Mail or the Guardian. Uh, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, but yeah. And what's was anything it, else you want to talk about on Putin before we... Well, just um, I have listened to a few people commenting, saying, you know, what they thought about it. And one mm. of the people that I wondered, or be interesting to hear what he has to say, is Konstantin Kissin, because I know he's not a fan of Putin at all. Um, no. And he is Russian, and uh, he lives here now. Um, but it was interesting, because he was saying, I mean, he was saying that pretty much... You know, when Putin was going through all the, you know, historically the things that happened, he was saying, you know, that that wasn't inaccurate um, and that he thinks that the things Putin was saying are are genuinely the things that he that he thinks and that he believes. He did say at one point um, that he wondered about this thing. What, how he can, you know, can talk so impressively for such a long time and why our leaders are so appalling in that regard. Um, and he said he thinks it's partly because we have poor leaders. But also he did make the point he wonders about, you know, Putin's been around for a long time. Mm. Uh, mm. And, you know, that that is a difference. So it brings an element of confidence, I suppose, experience. And um, he's had a long time to develop his thoughts on on um, how he should be leading his country, um, but yeah, it was it was quite interesting to listen to what he had to say. Yeah, that is interesting, and that is, that is interesting because, like you say, he's not he's not a fan. <laughs> and no, he's not. To, a fan. to be clear, let's be just set, uh, something straight here that Helen and I are. Not I'm fans not a either. Fan. No, we're, we're simply we're simply <laughs> wanting to. Ultimately, we're wanting to say, look, let's wake up to the reality of our situation because it's only when we do that, when we have our eyes open, that we can start really properly living for truth. Um, until that point, we're we're living like in a dream, really. Um, so that's why we that's why we want to press into these things. Um, but yeah, was there anything else you wanted to say, Helen? Um, no, I think other than listen to it, listen to yeah, it. We could put a link to, to link to it, and we'll put a link to the transcript as well, so you can you can read it if you prefer to do it, that. It, I mean, it's it's. I think read read some of it initially when when you when the interview was going live, it had more viewers than like CNN and CNN uh, MB was it. MBSC or something, and the, one of the other networks in America 
than that their viewing figures all combined. All combined, yeah. I mean, last last time I looked, I mean, it's probably got about 180 million, 180 million downloads or views rather on his Twitter uh, uh, feed, uh, Twitter post for for the video for, mm. from Tucker Carlson. So that's astonishing in terms of viewing figures. I mean, you know, any major network would never get anything close to that. Um, so the 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 genie is well and truly out of the bottle with this, and um, hopefully it will be a um, you know a nail in the coffin of the likes of our mainstream media a little bit more. But you know, again, whatever is replacing it will unfortunately be infiltrated because that's the nature of the world we live in. But yeah, and, um, and maybe it will, you know, it could be the beginning of the end of of this awful war. That would be a good thing. Well, that thing. would be, and that's a thing to pray for. I mean, yeah, yeah. Pray, pray for, pray for this war to end. Pray, pray for uh, Christians in Ukraine, particularly our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, who are wanting to be faithful, and um, pray for courage and resilience, and to be able to keep going. Um, and yeah, pray, pray that. Maybe yeah, the, well, the, not maybe. Pray that the West will stop its warmongering, that that mm. peace may peace may prevail. But ultimately, as we've said numerous times now, we are approaching the time when Jesus is coming back, and Jesus says, as we're fond of saying, in uh, when he says in Matthew twenty four, though you will hear of wars and rumours of wars, and these things are the start of. Uh, the birth pains, the start of what's going to happen uh, leading up to his return. So ultimately, we do have this amazing hope and we remind ourselves of that. And when we hear things on the news, when we hear things on the news, think, well, that, that, that that's a bit unsettling. Let's just stop and think, okay, that might be unsettling. It might make me feel a bit like bit nervous but i'm going to remind myself that christ is on the throne and that christ is coming back and that he says he will never leave me or forsake me that he is with us even unto the end of the age and because of who he is and what he's done we can be faithful and we encourage one another to do that um but yeah we yeah shall we finish with a bit of scripture yeah that would be good yep i'm you gonna read, to read from yeah, I'll read it uh, from James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Thank you. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. That again, great, great uh, reminder that, that that there are two types of 
wisdom. There's genuine wisdom, which is from God. And there's a pseudo wisdom, which is no wisdom at all, really, which is from the world, from the from the devil. And um, as Christians, we should be alert to this and looking for that opportunity to um, be lovers of peace and to sow in peace. And that doesn't mean to say that we um, don't kind of say boo to a goose or anything like that. It's not saying that. Um, But we do need to recognize that true wisdom really only comes from God. And when we listen to things, when we hear things, um, in the world around us, with us, remind ourselves of that. And 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 James James is wonderful, isn't it? The beginning of James it says, yeah. you know, we ask God for wisdom and should expect that He'll give it to us. That's really important. Otherwise, we're just like a wave that's tossed around on the sea, and we shouldn't expect to get anything. So we God wants to give us wisdom, and wisdom comes from God, and wisdom to discern, wisdom to discern what is what is right and wrong. And wisdom to say, okay, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to consider before I align myself with a particular set of values. And as Christians, it's so um, so vital we do that. For church leaders, it's so important that we do that. It's so important that we um, encourage those we shepherd to do the same. Um, so yeah, James is it's an amazing book, isn't it? Because it's it's full of it's chock full of practical practical application. Yeah, I think it's one of my favourite books in the Bible. Yeah, not surprised. Definitely. It's a good one. And it's a good. One. I was thinking when when I was reading this um, that actually my little Sunday school group this morning we were talking about how to be peacemakers, and um, and it's it's interesting when you're talking to children about that very simple concept of of making peace and not um, reacting in anger. You know, and usually we were talking about things like, you know, with your brother or sister or your friend and and how to resolve a situation and negotiate and um, compromise what might be necessary, but that we we need to try and make peace where we can. And thought, actually, it's those exact same principles, isn't it, mm-hmm. that we're talking about here on a international scale? Indeed. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And... Uh... Yeah, may may we may we look forward to that day when the Prince of Peace himself returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, um, and we live for that moment, don't we? We live for His return and His kingdom. Um, great. Should we finish there? Yeah. Okay. Well, look. Thank you very much for listening. Um, this was a kind of episode we weren't anticipating necessarily, but we hope it has been interesting. So if you think it's going to help or encourage or uh, challenge or, or just be of use to somebody, please do pass it on. If you have any comments or suggestions, do feel free to get in touch with us. You can support the podcast by going to the link tree, which is found on the Podbean site for the podcast, where you can buy us a coffee, which is always appreciated because it costs a bit of money to run the podcast, where you can find Helen's Substack, uh, where you can find links to a small Telegram channel we uh, run where we just share things in between podcasts that we think would be of interest and useful. So, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast in the not-too-distant future. 
Yep. See you then. Bye.